You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. All right, well, hey, tonight we are officially bringing our series through Acts to a close. So this is when everybody can say, aw, let's do it together. One, two, three. Oh, oh, that was so beautiful. I know you guys are so sad, and it's been an 11-month journey through the entire book of Acts. So I was talking to Dave this week, and he said, we started this series September 18th of 2022, 11 months ago. I'm like, 11 months ago, we just celebrated my uh, nephew's very first birthday. I'm like, he was basically being born into this world when we started this series 11 months ago. So crazy to think about. But before we uh, get to the conclusion of the ending of Acts, I think it's appropriate to talk about some significant endings in our history. And so I'm going to just flip through these pretty quick. So this is, I'm going to take you back, January 1st. 1863. Anybody anybody here in 1860? We got one hand. You felt like it. Okay, I love it. Love it. This is uh, January 1st, 1863. This is when President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation into existence, which set over, this is crazy, 3.5 million people free. 3.5 million people free. A significant ending to a very, very gruesome and tragic period in our U.S. history. Here's another one. I'm going to take you to September 2nd, 1945. Maybe some people were around 1945. Maybe not yet. That's all right. This is the ending of World War II. There is estimated between 70 to 85 million people that um, was estimated to pass away because of World War II, whether that's during battle or even rippling effects of World War II. That is 3% of the world population. I was like, that's, that's a lot of people. We'll continue on with our list. This is a little bit more recent. This one's like really dear and near to my heart. This is 2016 NBA Finals between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors. Now, if you don't know anything about NBA, and what was happening this season, I must tell you, the Golden State Warriors just broke the single season win record. They won 73 games. So the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan era won 72. So they were 73 and 9. They were going to the playoffs, smooth sailing. Everyone thought we were going to win the championship. Then we run into this guy up here named LeBron James, which that's all I'm going to mention about him. They were up 3 to 1, and then LeBron comes back and they went 4 to 3. So. Terrible, terrible ending, but I had to mention it. This one here, I'm glad um, I saw Zach see his in the house. He's wearing his t-shirt. I love it. So I got to talk to you about the 2022 NFL playoffs between the Bills and the Chiefs. This was like the greatest football game I think I've ever seen in my life. 24 points were scored in the under two minutes left in the game. And for you Chiefs fans in the room, how much time does Patrick Mahomes need? 13 seconds. 13 seconds, that's it. 13 seconds to come back and win the game. Crazy ending to that NFL playoff game. Here's another one. June 25th, 2009, the king of pop era is over with the death of Michael Jackson. He dies at the age of 50. Anyone remember this moment? A couple people. Some nodding of heads. Last one. This just ended 
very recently, maybe we got some Swifty fans in the congregation. I don't know. But this last Wednesday, August 9th, Taylor Swift officially ended her Eras Tour, her first segment, I will say, of her Eras Tour, because she just announced she's doing more tours throughout the world and the U.S. And so August 9th, the ending of the Eras Tour, this is crazy. I was reading about this. She's estimated to make $1.4 billion from her tour, her concerts. I'm like, that is an enormous amount of money. So the end of the Eras Tour. But everybody loves a good ending, right? Like an ending to a movie, an ending to a song, a play, whatever it may be. I love a good ending. But I hate to be the bearer of bad news, because unfortunately, the ending to the Book of Acts is not this way at all. Not like any of the endings that I just referenced. It's actually uh, pretty just basic and kind of lame when I was first reading it. And it's really... Uh, not that exciting considering everything that we've talked about so far through the book of Acts. I just want to briefly highlight some stuff for you that we've talked about if you haven't been with us. So the book of Acts starts with Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of heaven and then he ascends up into heaven and leaves uh, his disciples and he says, I'm going to bring my spirit upon you and it's going to be awesome. So the Holy Spirit comes and fills the disciples, and they're bold, and they're confident, they're speaking in tongues, and everyone's like, whoa, hold up, what is going on with these dudes? They thought they were a little bit too, they, they thought they had a little bit too much to drink, is what scripture says. Fast forward a little bit, Peter preaches a message, the very first time Peter, Peter preaches, 3,000 people give their life to Jesus. Again, crazy amount of people. Then we're introduced to this guy named Paul who goes from killing Christians to telling a whole lot of people about Jesus. And you've got to know this Jesus guy. We went on to talk about Paul, how he survived or went through three missionary journeys. And through those journeys, he planted probably somewhere around like 20 plus churches, which again is crazy. He survived three, he, he survived prison three times. He survived a shipwreck towards the end of Acts. And then there's a chapter in Acts that I want to just bring attention. There's also a chapter that talks about Paul was bit by this really like nasty, poisonous snake. And all the people around him, like this is right after he got shipwrecked. And all the people around him are like twiddling their thumbs like, all right, this is like only a matter of time before Paul takes the can. And he never does. Like he doesn't die from the snake bite. Crazy. And then finally, Paul gets to Rome where, where he was headed and he's on trial before Caesar and he's waiting for his trial, and he's under house arrest. And as he's under house arrest, he's just still preaching. He's like, it doesn't matter if you're going to like confine me to my house. I'm still going to preach the gospel to whoever walks by. And so that's where we find ourselves at the end of Acts. And this is these are the last three verses of Acts that I want to talk about tonight. It says, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And then Luke writes, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. I love the details. He's like, he didn't even own the house. He just rented it. And welcomed all who came to see him. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Like, that's it. That's where Luke leaves us. At the end of this crazy book, with so much happening, 
is like just abruptly ends this book. I feel like, okay, Paul, or Luke, or, did you forget something? Like, did you forget to put one more page maybe into this story? There's no dramatic ending. There's really no mighty, powerful miracle or anything like that. He just simply says, the Gentiles are responding to the gospel. Paul's chilling in a rented house. And he just continued to preach the gospel for the next two years. That's it. Like, what, what is going on here? I, in the beginning, as I began to dive into this text a little bit more and study it, I began to realize actually how beautifully and intentionally and purposefully actually Luke closes this book. And I want to tell you a little bit about that tonight, because the way Acts starts is the very first chapter, we have Jesus preaching about the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God. And then a few verses later, verse 9, the king, Jesus, is being glorified as he ascends up to heaven. Well, how does Luke close it? He highlights the same exact two things that he began the book with. The kingdom of God is still being preached, this time not by, not by Jesus, but this time by Paul. And the king, Jesus, is still being glorified. Like he's talking about Jesus. You've got to know Jesus. Every person that's walking by, you've got to know Jesus. He's glorifying the name of Jesus, and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, which is exactly the way the book started. I love that Luke doesn't end by highlighting any human being, any miracle, any dramatic event. He simply ends it the same way he started it, by talking about the kingdom and the king. Like in light of everything that happened, I think Luke's trying to, to, to point us to the fact of, hey, what matters most in this ending, I want you to think about the kingdom of God and King Jesus. And I think this is opposite of the way our culture is living, though. Like if you think about the way our culture lives, each and every day, and the thing that's being communicated to you, and maybe even some of your kids, is that like what matters most is you're in the spotlight. Like put yourself in the spotlight. Almost, I would even go as far as saying almost as like you are your own God. Do what you want. Build a name for yourself. Build a brand for yourself. Build up as many followers. Accumulate as much stuff as you can. But what I love about Luke here is he's saying the complete opposite. He's like, get out of the way. We're going to pull all of us out of the picture, and what I'm going to do is put the kingdom of God and King Jesus in the spotlight. It's never been about us. It's only been about the kingdom and the king. And so that's what I want to do tonight, is to simply do what Luke is doing in this conclusion. I want to shine a big old spotlight on the kingdom of God, the message of the kingdom of God, and the beauty of King Jesus, because oftentimes I think when it comes to the gospel message, I think we complicate it a little bit. Sometimes I think we use, we try to use really fancy, deep theological words or theological ideas to get us thinking about certain things. But I think when it comes to the message of the kingdom of God, I think it's quite simple. I think less is more. And I think Luke believes this too by the way that he is choosing to end this book. Like, he intentionally leaves a light on the kingdom and the king. It's like a Motel 6 moment. You know what I mean? Motel 6. I'm going to leave the light on for you. If you didn't get it, just think about it a little bit longer. I promise you'll get it. But he leaves a space to just be in awe. 
And so first and foremost, I want to talk really quickly uh, about three different things that I think the message of the kingdom of God is. I think this there could be a lot of things that we could potentially talk about, but I'm going to try to simplify it to three things that I think Paul continually goes back to over and over again in this entire book of Acts. And the first thing is this. I think the message... There we go. The message of the kingdom. I think the first thing it is, is the kingdom of God is for all people. Like this gospel message was not just for the Jews. Like cultural context at the time, people thought that the only way to be saved was you had to become a Jew and you had to follow this exact set of Jewish laws, like check in the box. And if you attain a certain point of like, if you follow this as perfectly as you can, like it was almost like you could save yourself. But when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom, he's saying, hey, it's not just for a select group of people. Like, no, it is for all of humanity. My kingdom is for all people, not just the Jews. It's for the Gentiles as well. And if you don't know the Gentile, the, the word basically just means everyone else who is not a Jew. That's basically what the word Gentile means, everybody else. And the thing is, is I think... We should be so grateful that this is the way Jesus established his kingdom because we are Gentiles. Like, I think it's easy to think, oh, like, we would be included in the Jews. But we are the Gentiles. Like, I'm so grateful that when Jesus came to establish this kingdom, he thought of all humanity, not just in a, a, a specific group of people. And this is what Paul continually tried to preach over and over again. Um, as he was journeying out in church planning, he wrote a letter to a church in Rome. And he says in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody who simply believes and calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. But Paul ran into a whole lot of pushback from so many people as he was preaching this over and over again to all people around him. Because that now meant that people of all races, all kinds, all lifestyles, whether they were religious or not religious, whether they were extremely far from Jesus or very closely connected, whether they were the worst of sinners or the holiest of saints, that salvation could be attained for all people. It just meant you had to believe in Jesus. And I think this message of the kingdom should challenge us in, in two different ways. The first is if you're sitting in this room tonight and you're feeling like the worst of sinners, or maybe you feel like you are extremely far from God, or you're, or you're disconnected from church, like just know the kingdom of God is for you. Like if you think you're, you're, you're disqualified because of something you've done or if, if, if you brought to light things you're dealing with and you think people are gonna be embarrassed or, or shamey for them, and, and question you and view you differently. It's like, no, the kingdom, the message of the kingdom is it's for all people. It's for you. And then the second thing I think it should do to challenge us is number two, if you already belong to this kingdom, I think we should have a moment where we evaluate our hearts. Like, are you living in a way that reflects this message that the kingdom of God is for all people? Like, do we think that way? Do we speak that way? Do we interact with one another, believing 
that, hey, if we belong to this kingdom, that also means we must live that way, expecting that all of humanity is, is, is eligible for this kingdom. Or there are people in our lives who maybe we've written off, thinking that they've made too many mistakes, too many bad decisions, that they will never be able to change. And I, I'm speaking at myself in this. I think it's easy to get into this boat of, well, if you only knew, right? If you only knew what, you know, the true motives behind that person. If, if you only knew them for the amount of time I did, you would know they're never going to change. And if that's us, I think a hard truth to accept is, well, Jesus has his eyes on those people too. Like Jesus has his eyes on the people that you and I are so quick to write off because they belong in the kingdom just like you and I. Like the message of the kingdom, I believe, is that people can change. And they can change because of Jesus. I, in my short 26 years of life, I know I'm not very old yet, but I've had different conversations with people along the way. And I've had people kind of communicate that to me like, oh, you know, this is just who they are. You know, if you, if you knew, if you knew, then you would get it. And I'm like, I so badly sometimes want to respond and go, I would love to know what you were like before you found Jesus. I would try to say more graciously, obviously. But, like, seriously, it's like, if, if we've been adopted into this kingdom, and this salvation applies to us, and, like, Jesus has changed us, the truth is, Jesus can change some other people, too. That's the first thing. I think another thing that the message of the kingdom is, is this, that the kingdom of God is covered in grace, but it requires faith. I want to read you, uh, this is another letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. And this is what he says, the gospel that he's preaching and reminding the church in Ephesus of. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this. I'm going to read this in a uh, different translation, the Amplified translation, because I think this is really great. It says, for it is by grace, what is grace? It's God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ. That you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment, and given eternal life through faith. So it's by grace through faith. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own power. For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves. It's not through your own effort. But it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God, not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. Like the, this, the message of the kingdom is that the kingdom is covered in the grace of Jesus, but it requires faith in Jesus as well. Like Paul is telling us, if you want to belong to this kingdom, it requires you to, to be clothed in the grace of Jesus and also put your faith in Jesus. Like, there's nothing more that you and I have to do to belong to this kingdom than receive the grace of Jesus and put our faith in him. Again, Paul received so much pushback for this type of message. Because, again, culture context at the time, like salvation was attained through you doing a whole lot of things. 
Like you have to do this and do that and do this and do that and do this and do that. And then you might be saved. Again, almost like you are in control of your own salvation. But the message of the kingdom is not do this and do that, do this and do that. The message of the kingdom is the work has already been done. Like the work expected of us has already been done and completed by Jesus on the cross. And again, this is the opposite of the way I think our world tends to think. I want to tell you a quick story. I thought this was pretty comical. I was in Minneapolis. This is when my wife and I uh, were still living in the cities. And I went out to Noodles and Company one day. I love Noodles and Company. It's a great place. My wife's not a huge fan of it, so I usually have to go by myself, which is okay. And uh, I remember one day I got to Noodles and Company, and in front of me there was three just young kids. And I assume they were all family members. Uh, there was a, a sister and then two brothers. And it honestly reminded me of my family growing up and just watching some of these kids interact with each other. And so they each get up to the register and they individually order. So the girl gets up first, she orders her meal, and she pulls out of her pocket this little Ziploc bag full of cash and coins. And she's sifting through it, and she pulls out the cash and the coins, and she pays for her meal. She steps aside. Then the youngest brother steps up, does the same thing, orders, pulls out this little tiny Ziploc baggie of cash. I'm sure they worked so hard for this one. And so they pay, he steps aside. But then the oldest brother steps up. Maybe imagine where this is going. He pays for his meal, and he is short some money. And so I'm standing behind him, and I thought I could do one of two things. I could step forward and help pay for his meal. Or I could just watch how it plays out. And I chose to watch how it played out. So I don't know if that's bad. So I'm sorry to the kid in Minneapolis if I didn't pay for his meal. So I'm just watching this play out. I'm like, what's this little brother and sister going to do? And so he's like sifting through his bag. And he's like, oh, I knew I had enough in here. I don't know where it went. And so he smacks his younger brother in the arm. And he's like, hey, can you spot me a couple dollars? And the brother's like, no, I'm not doing that. No. And so they're fighting back and forth in front of me, and I could tell the younger brother and the older brother were getting more and more frustrated at each other. Well, finally the younger brother gives in. Hallelujah. And he gives him a couple of dollars. So the older brother finishes, and as he's paying, I kid you not, guys, the younger brother comes up behind his, his older brother and smacks him across the head. And he says, you're going to pay me back. You're going to pay me back. I'm going to remember this. And I'm like, whoa, I'm not going to get in between that. But I think this is the way the world thinks about sometimes, like, when we interact with each other. Like, the world thinks, you're going to pay me back. When I do something for you, you're going to do it back for me. It's like, you scratch my back, I'm going to scratch your back. But the message of the kingdom is completely opposite of that. Like, Jesus isn't standing up on the cross, being nailed, and he's yelling, you're going to pay me back. He doesn't do that at all. He says, I'm going to graciously die. I'm going to give my life for you. Like, that's what grace is. Grace doesn't expect anything in return. It's just freely given. And that's, I think, what the message of the kingdom is all about. I think the third and final thing that uh, the message of the kingdom is that I want to highlight is this. Is the kingdom of God, I think, will never be shaken. The kingdom of God's never going to be shaken. As I was reading through all these stories and acts, I think it's, it's a book full of pages of a lot of things trying to come against the kingdom of God. Like people, persecution, kings, rulers, religious rulers, a poisonous snake, really weird. Like all these different things 
prison, death, people like these, some of these apostles are dying for the sake of Jesus. All this is being brought against the kingdom of God, yet we find ourselves at the very end of the book, the kingdom of God is still being proclaimed. And it specifically says, with boldness and without hindrance, meaning nothing's stopping it. It's going to keep going. It reminds me of, of John 1.5, when John writes, the light will shine in the darkness, and the darkness is not going to overcome it. Like, who's the light? It's Jesus. It's his kingdom. It's going to shine in the darkness, and the darkness will never overcome it. And so if you're in this room tonight and, and you're losing some sleep over the fact that you think the church or the kingdom of God is in trouble, I think I want to reassure you, just take a deep breath. I think it's going to be okay. Like, do I believe that the, the church is going to be a lot harder to be a Christian and to gather and be a part of a church as we get closer to end times? For sure, I believe that 100%. I think we're starting to see some of that. But I also believe no matter what is going to come against the kingdom of God, it's never going to be shaken. Like there's going to be a point in the end of all this on the other side of heaven when Jesus reestablishes his kingdom, a new heaven and new earth, where his kingdom's going to reign for all of eternity. It's never going to be shaken and it's never going to be stopped. So that's the message of the kingdom. Uh, but what about the message or what about the beauty of the king? Well, the reason why I think the kingdom of God looks this way and operates this way and has these, these types of qualities to it is because King Jesus chose to live his life this way. Like, Jesus is not preaching anything he, he ain't already living. Like, when, when he came, when he made the decision to humble himself to the point of taking on flesh, and he step, took one his first step in the dirt. I wonder what that was like. Like this first step on earth. He had all of humanity on his mind. Like he chose to live this way. When he interacted with people. Like he put himself into some really dicey situations. In fact, he was actually drawn to the people that everybody else was pushing to the side. Like the outcasts, the sick, the people who had issues. The people who were broken, all these people who were getting pushed aside. Jesus came with every single person and human being, humanity on his mind. He searched for the broken. But he chose to live his life with this way. Not only that, but when he came, he had grace in his eyes. I think about the countless stories where he interacted with the worst of sinners and he said, I love you, I forgive you, and go sin no more. Like he interacted with people with grace. And mercy, he's telling them, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. No one comes to the Father except through me. Like, put your faith in me. This is this perfect example of living with grace and also putting your faith in Jesus. And lastly, the most important thing that I love most about King Jesus is he lived with such boldness. He found himself in some really tough situations. In fact, he put himself in them. Tough questions around some angry crowds, some riots, people who tried to stone him. Like he put himself around sickness, diseases that could have been, like, if they touched his flesh, he could have been, uh, he could have been, took on the sickness as well. Like he put himself in some really dicey situations. But yet he lived with such boldness. The most beautiful picture I love of Jesus is when he's in the garden and he's on his knees and it says he's in such anguish, he's sweating drops of blood. Like he came to the conclusion that there is no other way forward except the cross. 
Like, and even if that means staring death in the face, I'm going to move forward as well. He lived with such boldness to the point where he was willing to die and be raised back to life. I mean, the kingdom of God is established in such boldness. Like, this is the message of the kingdom, and this is the beauty of who King Jesus is. And this is what I think Luke is trying to strategically highlight for us at the end of this book. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this out here. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And uh, I began thinking, though, like, what about us? Where do we apply in something like this, in this conversation? Like, what part do we have to play? And I think when I was typing this and sitting with the Lord, I, I was tempted to turn this into an evangelism message. We all love evangelism messages. Where it's like, hey, now that you've heard and you've seen, go tell somebody about it, you know? And I'm like, actually, I think there's a step before that that I think the Lord really wants us to grasp tonight. And I think Luke does too. Like he wants each one of us, I think, to just first personally understand and grasp the message of the kingdom. And see the beauty of the king, like deep within our own hearts. Like creating space so we can allow the message to just take root in our heart. I think if Luke was still with us today... He would encourage us by saying something similar to what he shared in verse 28. I love this so much, the first part of what I read. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. They are listening. The Gentiles, the people farthest from God, the people who are least deserving of the kingdom, the people who had no religious affiliation, this gospel was being preached to them, and they are responding. They're hearing the message. They're listening. They're seeing the beauty of the king. They're responding. They heard the message of the kingdom of God, and they saw the beauty of the king. And so I think it's applicable to ask just this final question to you to make it real personal. Is do you have ears to hear the message of the kingdom tonight? And do you have spiritual eyes to see the beauty of King Jesus? I think that's what the ending of, of Acts is all about. Again, Luke putting this, these two things in the spotlight and saying, hey, reflect on this. Don't miss it. Let meditate on this stuff. Be honest with yourself. Like, do you have ears to hear it? And do you have eyes to see it? And so maybe you're in this room and Maybe you found yourself out of some spiritual rhythm with Jesus, or you found yourself distancing yourself from Jesus, or just the craziness of summer. I know it's, it's wild. Our schedules are all over the place. And if that's you, man, I pray in this next moment, when we sing this last song, just, just take a moment and like spend it with Jesus. Like Let the message of the kingdom of God take root in your heart. I think it's simple. Create some space. Less is more. And ask God to give you eyes to see how beautiful our King really is. But man, if you're in this room and you say, hey, my ears are wide open. My eyes, I'm seeing clearly tonight. Well, if that's you, I want to leave you with this. These are the words of Jesus, Matthew 13, 16 through 7. Jesus says this, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth that many prophets and righteous people, they long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. 
And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. So I think Jesus would say, blessed are you. Like if you're hearing it and you're seeing it, blessed are you. I'm going to pray for us. God, we thank you for tonight. And God, we thank you for each and every person in this room. Just all walks of life and different crazy, crazy schedules and different situations they probably find themselves in. But God, I'm asking that we would just pause and reflect and open our hearts wide open and just evaluate we where we're at. Like the message of this kingdom, has it truly taken root in our life? And if there's things that maybe we need to do differently or live differently or speak differently or, or live with a little bit more boldness or, or a little bit more gracious, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to do that. And God, give us eyes to see you, Jesus. I mean, you are you are a beautiful king. The, the, the things that you did for us, we are so undeserving. I think of all the mistakes that I've made in my life, but yet you still look at me and say, I love you and forgive you. And that's true for every single person in this room. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In the holy and precious name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.